Let me add my welcome to that given by Stu before. My name's Mal York. I'm one of the ministers here as well. And it's wonderful and a real privilege to look at God's Word with you uh, this afternoon. Uh, if you keep your Bibles open, that will be helpful as I refer to, that, uh, to the Bible passage that was just read out throughout the talk this evening. Well, the time has come. The countdown is almost over. Christmas is only three days away. How fantastic is this? And if you're anything like me, Christmas shopping starts tomorrow. No, no, I'm just joking. I've done it already. Who's a last-minute shopper? Put up your hand if you're a last-minute shopper. Okay, just a couple out there. Put up your hand if you're all done. Okay, only first. Still some work to do, I see. One of the great things about Christmas is getting together for that family meal, isn't it? As we gather uh, together, I'm sure many will take this time to share news with one another, news of engagement, uh, news of a fresh start in a new year. Uh, some may not be so positive, uh, news of ill health or news of an incident with unfavourable outcomes, or news of loss. For many, Christmas is not an easy time of the year, and our thoughts and prayers are with you if you're facing that this Christmas. But nevertheless, Christmas is often a time of sharing news. And I can remember when I shared some news with my mother uh, that we were going to have a daughter. Now, I need to give you a bit of uh, background here. Uh, She had three sons, my older brother, myself and my younger brother. And her first three grandchildren were all boys. Uh, So the question became, can anyone in the York family produce a female? So Heather and I decided to have an ultrasound before our third child. uh, And the sonographer told us that we were having a, a girl. Uh, So I called my mum and I said, hey mum, you never guess what, we're having a girl. There was a pause on the other end of the phone and she said, how do you know? And I explained to her about the ultrasound and what it showed and she said, well, you know what, I'll believe it when I see it. Now fair enough, this was, you know, 16, 17 years ago, ultrasounds could have been wrong back then, I know of some that were. Anyway, the day of the birth came, and sure enough, Emma was born, our first daughter. So I called mum, she was on holidays up the coast, and I said, hey mum, the ultrasound was right, we had a girl. Nothing, down the other end of the phone. How do you know, she said. I didn't think I needed to explain this to her. She was, after all, a registered nurse at the time. Uh, And then she said, I'll believe it when I see it. And significant news can be like this, can't it? It can be unbelievable until we see it. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've seen significant news being shared with Zechariah and Mary by the angel Gabriel. Zechariah was to have a boy, even though he and his wife were uh, old in age. Mary was to have a boy, even though she was a virgin. And so today, as we prepare for Christmas... We'll look at how Mary and Zechariah respond to this significant news that they've been told and the fulfilment, especially, of Zechariah. But we'll be challenged as to how we are preparing for this Christmas. Uh, How do we respond to the Christmas story? Uh, With belief or with unbelief? Well, let me pray as we come and look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, it's so wonderful to come and look at your word, especially as it comes close to Christmas. We pray that you'll speak to us by your spirit. Help us to understand more about this significant news, what it not only meant for Zechariah and for Mary, but what it means for us as well. And help us to respond with belief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, the first aspect of the passage we see is uh, Mary's response to the news uh, of Gabriel. Now, you may remember in Israel, there had been silence for over 400 years. No prophecy, no prophets. Israel was not ruling the promised land, but was under Roman occupation. And the question that was being asked is, uh, has God forgotten Israel? Uh, We see the answer to this in Gabriel's first appearance to Zechariah back at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. And the answer is no, God has not forgotten Israel. In fact, God takes the initiative again and makes fertile a barren woman in her old age. In many ways, Elizabeth's barren womb reflected God's barren voice in Israel over the past 400 years. But now she is pregnant, carrying a new life that will start to bring about the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Here we start to hear of hope coming back to Israel. Her husband, Zechariah, of course, if you remember, is mute. Uh, Although Gabriel visited him, his disbelief at God's ability to work in this way, when he should have known better as a a leader uh, of Israel, a spiritual leader of Israel, caused Zechariah to be mute until what Gabriel had spoken to him had been fulfilled. Mary, however, was different, wasn't she? Yes, she was afraid. Yes, she didn't understand how things would happen. But her response is beautiful. You may remember it or you can flick your eyes back to it in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The words of a a young woman wanting to serve her God no matter what the social cost. That in and of itself is a challenge to us, isn't it? Are we willing to serve our God no matter what the social cost? Well then, just prior to the passage that was read out today, we see that Mary goes straight to visit her relative Elizabeth. No ability to text, no ability to email or telephone Elizabeth. Mary goes to see if the uh, announcement of Gabriel to her about Elizabeth's pregnancy is true. Remember, Elizabeth Elizabeth had been in seclusion for five months. Very unlikely uh, would it be that Mary had, had heard that she was even pregnant. And look what happens when she finds Elizabeth in verse 41. The baby inside Elizabeth leaps and Elizabeth herself becomes filled with the Holy Spirit and she prophesies. Can you imagine what this would have been like for Mary turning up to Elizabeth and seeing this happen? When my mother made it down from that holiday that she was on uh, up the coast after Emma was born, she was absolutely overjoyed to have a granddaughter in the family. Although there was some initial doubt at the beginning, when she met Emma, she could see that it was true. In fact, we've been hugely blessed with two daughters, as you know. And I think for my mum, although she wouldn't admit to it, uh, around her grandsons, it's a source of joy for her to have granddaughters as she didn't have her own daughter. And for Mary to see Elizabeth, she is overjoyed for a different reason. To hear the news of this baby inside Elizabeth would have reinforced to her that the words by Gabriel about her own birth, her own pregnancy, were also very true. She is overjoyed, in fact, so much so that she bursts into song. And we see in this wonderful song two things. First, Mary's song is all about what God has done for her and for Israel. In verse 46, Mary recognizes that God's goodness, uh, recognizes God's goodness, and it causes her to glorify him, to point back to God and his glory at what he's done for Mary rather than thinking that it's anything in and of herself. 
Note there in verse 47, she rejoices because God is enacting his saving work for Israel. Uh, Sure, she recognizes in verse 48 that God has used her, and from now on, people will know who she is, uh, a humble servant, known as blessed. But once again, it's not because of anything in and of herself, but rather it's all because of what God has done for her in giving her this baby. And then secondly, Mary goes on in verse 50 uh, to 56 to remind us of the wonderful attributes of God in bringing about the fulfillment of this promise. Uh, In verse 50, we see that he extends his mercy to those who fear him from generation to generation. In verse 51, he performs mighty deeds with his arms. He he scatters the proud. Uh, In verse 52, he brings down the rulers and lifts up the humble. In verse 53, he fills the hungry and sends the rich away. In verse 54, he helps Israel and remembers to be merciful to Abraham's descendants. And in verse 55, we see that he keeps his promises. In all these verses, in in this beautiful song that Mary sings in response to this news from her wonderful God, we see that Mary points to a God who has supreme power in all that he does. And he uses this supreme power, how? To act in favour of the humble, for those who would fear him. He scatters the proud. He, he brings down rulers. He sends the rich away. All those who, who claim they can stand on their own two feet, that they don't need God in this world. But he acts in favour of the humble, the hungry and, and merciful to his people, those who would humbly come to him, recognising that he is God and that we cannot control our lives ourselves. And you see, in sending Jesus, God is continuing to show that this is the way that he acts. But secondly, we also see that God does not forget his people, no matter how lowly they are. Mary is a classic example of this, isn't it? She's a nobody girl from a nobody town, but has the privilege of carrying the son of the Most High God. And through Mary's response to Gabriel's words, we're reminded that God is a God who keeps his promises and who keeps his word. Well, the next aspect to the passage we see is that God's promises are also fulfilled to Zechariah. It seems uh, initially that Mary stays with Elizabeth for the rest of her pregnancy, but goes home prior to John being born. And then we read in verse 57 that Elizabeth gives birth to a son. And can you see there, uh, the the news spreads, and it's a time of of great celebration. Uh, After eight days, uh, John is taken to be circumcised, as was the custom of the Jewish people. It serves as a reminder that they're still part of God's people. They're still heirs of the promises given to their forefathers. And so during the time of circumcision, it's also a time when the baby is named. Uh, Now, it was Jewish custom that a firstborn son be named after the father or the grandfather, one of the relatives. But we know from Gabriel's message to Zechariah back in chapter 1, verse 13, that Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah were told to call their baby John. Obviously, despite Zechariah's inability to talk, he had somehow let Elizabeth know that this was the case. And so when they go to name the child, she insists the name should be John. But the people aren't satisfied. See, they're in verse 61 with this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I think naming a child is really odd. Normally, when you meet someone, they introduce themselves to you. You know, g'day, my name is Mal. And and that, that person tells you 
who they are. But when it comes to naming uh, children, it's up to us, isn't it, to give them the name. Rather than them telling us, you know, they don't come out born and say, Hi, I'm Tom, or Hi, I'm Sam. Uh, We're the ones that give them the name. I just found it really strange. I don't know if you guys did. Uh, Some people have different requests when naming children, such as there are some people who say, you know what, I'm going to wait till it's born, I'm going to see what it looks like, I've got a list of names and I'm going to pick one that it most looks like. I don't know how they do that personally, nothing against you if you you did do that, that's certainly fine, but anyway. When it comes to name, I only had one request. They weren't allowed to have the same initial as anyone else in the family. Okay, so with names like Mal and Heather, there was no chance of a Michael or a Meredith There was no chance of a Hannah or a Henry in our family. My reason is that I didn't want mix-up in mail correspondence. Is there anyone with me? A couple of people. I saw one hand come up there. Or imagine this scenario. Imagine if you had kids named after the father and, and, you know, grandkids named after the father. Who's going to put out the bin? Zechariah, put out the bin. Like, Okay, anyway, maybe it's just me. However, at the time that this passage was written, you were named after a relative. But Zechariah knew what the angel had told him back in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. And so he gets writing on a tablet and he writes, his name is John. Then see what happens in verse 64. Amazingly, his mouth is opened and his tongue is set free. We clearly see here the fulfillment of the angel Gabriel's word from Luke chapter 1, verse 20. Not only did Zechariah and Elizabeth have a son in their old age, which is what he promised, Not only did they call him John, but when he was born, when this was all fulfilled, Zechariah was able to speak and named his son John. You see, friends, what we see from this is God's word does come true. We've seen this through the Song of Mary, and now we see it in the fulfillment of promises to Zechariah by the angel Gabriel. And it should give us this great expectation. If these words of, of Gabriel came true to Zechariah, it's highly likely they're going to come true to Mary. But more than this, as we watch on the side of this, as we read the account of this, it should also give us confidence that if God's word comes true to Zechariah and comes true to Mary, then we should have a great expectation that his words will come true to us as well. Well, the final aspect of the passage that we see is with his lips now open, Zechariah bursts into songs of praise for God. And his song too has basically two parts. The first part is all about what the coming of Mary's baby will mean. So see there in 68, uh, he says he praises God for taking the initiative, for for coming to his people and, and redeeming them. In verse 69, he sees the coming of Mary's baby as the fulfillment of the promises made to David back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 7. In verse 71, he sees the, uh, with the coming of Mary's baby, uh, the salvation of God coming to his people. In verse 72 to 73, he sees with the coming of Mary's baby as the way that God keeps his promises made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 at the beginning of the Bible. See, all these promises that were made are now coming into fulfillment in the birth of this baby Jesus. And in verse 74 to 75, he sees the coming of Mary's baby as the time now where Israel will be rescued from her enemies, uh, enabling God's people to serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness. And just to sum this up, Zechariah sees in Mary's baby the fulfillment of all God's promises in the Old Testament 
now coming with the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing in a new age of salvation with the defeat of God's enemies so people can live without fear in holiness and righteousness. But notice the tense here. He's speaking as if all these things have already taken place. And I think it's because that with Zechariah and all that he's been through, he's so certain that these promises to Mary will be fulfilled uh, as they were for him. He's so certain that God is going to keep his promises that he speaks as if these future events have already happened. And then we see in the second part, it's all about the role that his son John will play in this. See there in verse 76, And you, my child, he starts speaking directly to his newborn son. You will be called the prophet of the Most High God. You will prepare the way for the Lord. In verse 77, uh, you will give people knowledge about salvation and the forgiveness of sins, which only comes as a result of God's tender mercy. Then in verse 79, he is going to shine uh, on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death, and be a guide for his people a path, uh, sorry, and to be a guide for people uh, to the path of peace. John will play this, this most important role in leading people and pointing people to God himself. Uh, in fact, he is to be that Elijah figure prophesied from Malachi 4 uh, that will prepare the way for the Lord. You may or may not remember that. This was uh, from the, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, the, what we, we read in this is these words. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Uh, this, the, uh, uh, this figure of this Elijah figure was going to be coming before that great day of the Lord. And, and Zechariah is saying, John, this is what you're going to do. My son, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be pointing people to this one, to, to the Lord himself. And he's going to prepare them by reminding them of their sin and their need for forgiveness. And then eventually he will play that role of pointing Israel to the one who is the fulfillment of God's promises. Isn't it so wonderful to hear how Zechariah responds to the news of his son being used in God's plans in this way. Made me wonder whether I would respond in the same way. I'm not sure what our aspirations for our children are, but I wonder if they're ever the same as Zechariah's, to be used for God's glory in this way. Imagine if the angel Gabriel came to you and said, your child is going to be used to point the way to the Lord. Would you be, yeah, this is awesome. What is our heart's desire for our children? That they succeed in the eyes of the world or that they're used to point people to God's salvation? Now, Zechariah's rejoicing for his son is less about his heart's desire uh, for, for John and more about his heart's desire for God. Zechariah has this wonderful zeal for God, his plan for salvation that is coming in the Lord Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of God's promises to his people, showing that God can do amazing things through ordinary people. And we're left with this expectation, aren't we? That something is coming, something is great, greater is just about to happen. And it's going to happen any moment now. 
In fact, if we just went to chapter 2, but we won't do that, come back on Christmas Eve, come back on Christmas Day, and we will see the even better thing that is being pointed to here. But as we conclude, let me just reflect on a few things. Firstly, as we prepare for Christmas, only three days away, are we preparing with the same heart as Mary and Zechariah? Are we full of joy at the news of the coming of the Lord Jesus? Are we full of joy at seeing the fulfillment of all God's promises? As Zechariah did, do we see in Jesus the news of salvation coming for humankind? Is knowing the coming of the promised king and knowing him our greatest desire for not only ourselves, but for our children, for our family and our friends? Friends, it's my hope this Christmas as we're reminded again of what God has done for us, that we remember God is a God who fulfills his promises, who keeps his word, and who acts in favor of those who would humble themselves before him. And it's my hope and prayer that this leads this Christmas to real joy for us all, an overflowing of the heart for God and all that he has done for us in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Although sometimes it may seem like he is long in bringing about his final salvation from our perspective, for God, he is working to his timing to bring about all his purposes. But when we, if we're like Mary and Zechariah, looking back on all that God has done for us, we can see, can't we, God's hand in history, the promises he has fulfilled. And so this should give us great hope that he will fulfill the promises he has made to you and I. And we find that in the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this Christmas we'll be reminded of the wonderful hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are a God who works in history and keeps your promises. We pray that this will be a message that's on our hearts and on our lips as we gather with loved ones over this Christmas period. We pray this for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name.